2: Hello,
0: everybody. Good morning. Welcome in to the Great Scott Show. I'm Scott Prather. Talking to you on a Wednesday. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. College basketball tipped off last night. The OBJ rumors seem to be pointing to continue to point to one city in particular, and it's not anywhere around here, not anywhere close to here, but is New Orleans out of the mix? Are they in it? We'll talk to John Hendricks this morning about that. Tim Buckley is going to join me in the eight o'clock hour, talk a little Cajun sports and Sarah Montgomery. Sarah is a Lafayette native. She is a professional race car driver, and she is going to be one of three. She's on a team. Three drivers featured in a docu-series that is set to premiere on TV this Friday. Can't wait to catch up with her in the final segment of the show this morning. So a lot happening. I was at the Cajun home yesterday watching the Cajuns tip off their season. Uh, the, the truth is both games... The opponent was totally overmatched. Texas A&M-Kingsville. You know, they're they're not as good as what the Cajuns women's basketball team will see Saturday against Rice. They're not as good as LSU, who will visit the Cajun home next week when Kim Mulkey brings her team to town. But Gary Broadhead's squad looked good yesterday. Looked real good. Tamara Johnson, Lafayette native, healthy. And active and look strong. Look real strong. 84-58 to 58, the final there. They got their rings at halftime of the men's game for winning the Sunbelt Conference Championship last year. They dropped a couple of banners. Brandy Williams, Ty May May Holman, they all added double-digit scoring performances. Tamera Johnson, though, was great. Uh, this team, you know, G- Gary has done a good job since he's been the head coach over the last 10 years of recruiting defensive-minded players. Offensively, they've had some players come in and out of the program, but in terms of just really great scores, having a plethora of them, I don't know that that's something that they've had consistently. Now, they developed some scores. They've got scoring on this team. They've got scoring on this team. And they showed it last night. On the men's side... Tell you what, man, Jordan Brown is good. Greg Williams Jr. is good. Some of these newcomers are good. You know, Jordan played 25 minutes, 40 seconds last night. He was plus 25 in the plus minus ratio. He was dominant. He's 6'11". He moves extremely well for a big man. Outside of... You know, getting his shot blocked twice by someone shorter than him. And one of them was when they were up against the shot clock. Outside of that, I you'd I, be nitpicking to find something in his game that wasn't really strong yesterday. He was active on the boards. He led the team in assists last night. Kobe Julian, as Coach Bob Marlin told me yesterday morning on this show, right, in terms of newcomers, he's like, well, I can't really say Kobe because he's not a newcomer. But in terms of impact, he's healthy, so it'll feel like it just – Julian was active. Theo Kuba, uh, you know, of course, getting his work done on the boards. Eight boards last night for him. Greg Williams Jr. only played 15 minutes. And the transfer from St. John's to Lafayette Native, he was big, man. You might look at his stat and say, oh, he only had five points to assists. He's got soft touch around the rim. He's got range. On a night where the Cajuns struggled from the three-point line in the first half. Uh, o of 11. They finished 8 of 29. Greg was 1 of 1 from beyond the arc, but he's active. You watch this guy, you can see it happening. Everybody got in the game last night. Joe Charles played good to Karen Crow native. Carter Domain got in late. Isaiah Richards was big off the bench. You You saw the size of this team. I think what I saw last night against a West Florida team that frankly doesn't have a lot of size. Um, it was overmatched. They've got some really athletic bigs, the Cajuns do. Akuba, Brown, I mean, these are bigs that have a lot of athleticism that are very agile, especially, I mean, Brown's very agile. It, it, was, it was a good start. Like what I saw last night, the competition will heat up moving forward, but you certainly like what you saw last night from him. Um shout out Kentrell Garnett, the guy a walk on starts last night. He got in the he just continues to work hard. He's a he's a great, great kid. Worked his tail off and scored ten points last night. I mean the guy's a freshman. Of course everyone got that extra year of eligibility from a season ago, so technically he's a freshman, but last year's a walk on ends up playing during the season, because of injuries and because of hard work. Guy, as Coach Marlin said, is the only player that's never missed a single practice since they got together for this season. Not one, not a moment. And the guys just as a whole, you know, I was talking to Coach about it yesterday. They all just look bigger in terms of muscle mass. <laughs> Strength and conditioning is a big part of it. They've got it this year for hoops. You could see that on display as well. So, good start. That was their first action of the Cajun Nome in, Noma, what, 260 days? Right out the gate. It was 17-4. Boom. Just that it, 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 it was, they were cruising. And then it became more of a, okay, let's just look at each individual player, how they look. But again, you know, competition will will heat up for them as well. They're at Southern Miss this Friday. You can hear that game right here on uh, on ESPN Lafayette one hundred three three on the FM fourteen twenty on the AM streaming worldwide. Southern Miss opened up their season last night with a win over William Carey eighty one sixty seven. Tay Hardy, he's good. He's good. That cat. He um. You know, as a guard, the kid can just score. He can just score. I think, what did he have, 30 points last night? So Cajuns will get an early look at a soon-to-be conference opponent in coming years when they're at Southern Miss on Friday. Uh, The women's basketball team up next, they're heading to Rice. Very good team this Saturday, and you can hear the action as well right here after the football game. LSU basketball. Opened up their season a 101 to 39, just absolutely demolished ULM. You didn't have a ULM player or even reach double figures. Darius Days had 30 points in only 22 minutes. You had five LSU players finishing double figures. Um, you know, kind of seeing some highlights. Xavier Pinson, the, the the senior guard out of out of Chicago the way he distributed the ball, I think he's going to be a big part of that. He transferred from Missouri. This is his first game as a Tiger, but I think with some of the scores LSU has, Xavier's going to be a big part of the team this year, and someone to certainly keep an eye on. He might not draw the biggest headlines, but he'll be key. He'll be key. The coach, Mike Krzyzewski, farewell tour. It's going to be all season long. Get used to it. Get used to it. Last night, Duke beat Kentucky in the big national game. Uh, Kansas beat Michigan State, who, yeah, oh, Izzo, Michigan State. They're not even ranked this year. Really, Duke, Kentucky was kind of the, the big one in college hoops last night. And uh, Duke won at 79-71. I did not see a minute of that game. By the time I got back from the Cajun Dome, it was, uh, it was fairly late, but... I did see plenty of highlights and they were all about old coach K and it's only going to heat up all year. It'll keep going and going and going. As far as close calls last night, Ohio state who's ranked 17th beat Akron by a point Houston who's ranked 15th beat Hofstra in overtime. They won 83 75. They had to go to OT for it. Um, And that's an opponent that the Cajuns do play this year, the only currently ranked opponent on their schedule. They played Houston on December 14th. But all ranked teams that were in action last night won their games. And, um, well, with one exception, with one exception, Navy defeated Virginia 66-58. Virginia ranked 25th, so just added to top 25. Speaking of the top 25, college football playoff rankings and the NFL. Guys, listen. I said this yesterday. When an organization shows you who they are over and over and over again, I just don't understand why anyone would act surprised. Why are you surprised at the college football rankings and how absurd it is and how much it just doesn't make a lot of sense? Why are you surprised the one-loss Michigan State is behind Michigan, who they beat this year? Why are you surprised that Purdue jumped into the college football top 25 all the way to 19 because they need to prop up Ohio State and other Big Ten teams? Why are you surprised that Cincinnati's not in the top four? The Bearcats, yeah, they moved up to number five thanks to Michigan State's loss, not because they barely escaped Tulsa. But they're going to need a two-loss Alabama team that's beaten pretty soundly in the SEC title game. They're going to need a two-loss Pac-12 champion or a two-loss Big 12 champ. They're still going to need a lot of help. Why are you surprised at any of that, though? I mean, Alabama, the committee still loves them. They barely beat LSU, barely. They should have lost to LSU. And they're still number two. And next they play New Mexico State. Yeah, they're going to run the table. They're going to play Georgia in the SEC championship game, and if they win, they'll be in. I wouldn't be surprised if they lose a super close game if the committee talks themselves into putting them in. Why are you surprised that the NFL fine Aaron Rodgers $14,560? I'm sorry, $14,650, and that's it. Why are you surprised that despite the fact that the Packers... Continuously broke COVID 19 protocols. They were fined $300,000. Aaron Rodgers was fined what for him is pocket change. And there's no suspensions. There's no forfeiture of draft picks. There's none of that. Whereas, for example, the Saints, well, their players dance maskless in their own locker room. Boom. We're going to take draft picks from you. Why are you surprised? It's the NFL, it's Roger Goodell it's how he wants to dole out discipline. They've shown you time and time again who they are. They love the Packers. They love Aaron Rodgers. They show you who they are consistently over and over and over and over and over and over and over. Don't be surprised. Oh, I just can't believe this. Can you see what they with Aaron Rodgers? Can't believe did you see the college football playoff? Can you see what they did? Yeah. And you were expecting what? you expected them to suddenly just be objective out of nowhere. Come on. Come on. <laughs> Don't go anywhere. This is ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. I'm Scott Prather. Your weather forecast from the Storm Team 3 Weather Lab and Daniel Phillips. Today, the high is 76. It's going to be sunny. The low tonight is 53. It'll be clear. Traffic update for you. Be careful out there, everybody. 20 minutes ago, uh, report that Louisiana 347 North in Henderson is closed at I-10 due to an overturned tractor trailer. Motorists are advised to use a different route. Be careful. John Hendricks joins me next on the beat covering the Saints for Sports Illustrated. We're talking Saints football with them next. The OBJ rumors, could they happen? What's the latest with Alvin Kamara in that situation? Is he injured? What's going on? Team still got a lot to figure out. We're talking to John next right here on the Great Scott Show at CSB and Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. As promised, joining me now the Saints' lead writer and reporter for Saints News over at Sports Illustrated, Host podcast for the Believe Saints on the uh, Believe Network. John Hendricks, friend of the program, great guy, joins us now. Good morning, John. How's life? What's up?
1: God man, I'm doing good. Um, life is going pretty good. Just trying to uh, stay a little warm, but hey, it's gumbo weather, so I'm I'm not complaining at all.
0: Amen. What what, what do you, you go with chicken and sausage first or you're a duck and andouille, a seafood? I know, I know your answer is I'll eat them all, but like what's, what's top on the list?
1: Well, I just made some chicken and andouille with some pasta. So, I mean, that's, that's got to, got to have that. I mean, it pops, you know, and I'm a potato salad guy, so.
3: Oh yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, I'd eat it right now for breakfast. Just bring it in the studio, man. Next time I'm going to have to like, just, you know. Just like get a driver to go pick you up so you can just come to Lafayette, bring me gumbo and we'll just hang out in the studio. Yeah,
1: somebody's gotta invent a breakfast gumbo. <laughs> I think that could be a thing someday, huh?
0: I just think I just think it's it's just gumbo. Right. It's just it's like right. somebody's like, Oh, we need we need to have steak for breakfast. Okay, we'll just do steak and eggs. Like, oh, here's some gumbo right. with some potato salad that has a little bit of eggs in the ingredients. Okay, deal. You know, some gumbos Perfect. put eggs in, in the in the roux as well, which is, you know, it's 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 not bad. Uh what's your uh, what's your favorite Beastie Boy song of all time?
1: Man, I got a couple. I mean, I think sabotage has got to be up there, but you know, I grew up in uh, I mean I'm an eighties baby, but grew up in the nineties, so Intergalactic's got a big big oh, heavy man. uh near dear to my heart and then Fight for Your Right. <laughs> but Intergalactic, man, that's that music to you know.
0: Yeah, the yeah. Hello Nasty album is is tremendous. Uh, Sabotage is is timeless, but uh, all of them, man. I mean, from you know, it's funny. Usually, I can tell before I talk to somebody based on their age where they're going to sort of lean toward, either if they even like them, right? But I can, I probably would have guessed something off of Hello Nasty. But then, of course, everybody likes a couple of the classics. Uh, the Intergalactic man, it just. The more you listen to it, it really gets better with age. You notice different yeah. things in the song that you maybe not, didn't realize when it came out you know, 23 years ago. But um, well done. Well done. All right, let's talk about the Saints. Uh, OBJ, where are we at? Reports are that he's leaning towards Seattle. He cleared waivers, which wasn't a surprise, even went as far as reportedly saying he would um, cause issues if somebody claimed him off of waivers. He wanted sort of the freedom – to make a choice. What's the latest on OBJ and what are the odds he could possibly get to the saints?
1: Yeah, look, I mean, you, you read through cause everybody knows somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody who knows where he's going to go, right. And what he prefers. And so I've seen the Packers thrown out. I've seen the Seahawks thrown out. I've seen 49ers. I mean, obviously you want him, he wants to go to somebody that can is a contender. And, you know, um, I think the pitch is there for new Orleans. I think that he, he's somebody that can be valued and, You got to understand and remember that this is an important choice for him because wherever he goes, you know, potentially be a free agent after this season. And so uh, he's got a lot to prove here. And so I I don't know um, if some of those other situations are are ideal for him. I know he's going to take some time to make this decision. I think New Orleans has a chance, has an opportunity, but at the same time, you know, it won't surprise me if they don't get him just because of some of these other teams. But, you know, at 5-3, I mean, if the Saints would have won that game on Sunday, would that have made it a little bit easier? Maybe, but also when you look at the film, it it wasn't Trevor Simeon's fault. I mean, he's a veteran, played extremely well, and, um, you know, his receivers and tight ends didn't really do him any favors. So I think New Orleans is an ideal choice, especially being that he's from, you know, around and played at LSU and all that good stuff, and it'd be a good reunion. He'd be... A huge fan favorite but you know at the same time um we're just gonna have to see how this thing goes and we're all paying attention refreshing our browsers and twitter and just waiting to see when the first uh shoe drops
0: <laughs> well the saints desperately need help at receiver and i've i maintain that odell is not the player he was a couple of years right. ago uh injuries you know catching the ball freelancing on a lot of routes so i he he's not the cover of Madden, you know let's let's inspire a whole generation of kids to just use one hand to catch the ball which drives youth coaches crazy but like he's not that guy anymore he's still talented and better than anything currently on the saints roster at that position with michael thomas being out and you know whether it just be drops whether it be not being able to get separation Look, Callaway has his moments. Traquan Smith is just a pendulum. He just swings from one side to the other, play to play. You don't know what you're going to get. Deontay Harris is the best receiver on the team, um, but he could be looking at his suspension really soon based on the fact that now his his DUI case from last summer has now uh, gone through the court system. Uh, little Jordan Humphrey, he's just, we're not talking about guys that are big difference makers here. And, when you've got average to below average and I think Trevor Simeon is fine as a quarterback but again I would use the word average you need you just desperately need a jolt there right now and Alvin Kamara is how hard is he I'll ask you a little bit about that in a minute but Odell I don't think is this sort of savior that suddenly makes everything right. better yet it's an instant improvement to a group that desperately needs it if you can just convince them hey Come here. We'll, we'll. We'll. You don't use the word rent, but essentially they're renting you for the rest of the season. Improve your stock. Just let's 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 make it a win-win for everybody. That's got to be the sales pitch, right?
1: Yeah, I would think so too. And, and you know, I, I wrote about this after the game. Is the biggest thing I ha- issue I have with the Saints team this year is a I think we don't know what their identity really is. And B it's their consistency is, is not there, right? It's, it's been an inconsistent product and, you know, defense talks a lot and church says, Hey, put it on us. And then they can't deliver it. And the offense, you know, they get some things going, but it's just not a, a consistent thing. I mean, the run game looked good, but you know, look again, I don't believe it's elite Odell Beckham jr. I think he's good. And I think obviously he's definitely somebody better than, you know, what they have on the roster. I mean, you got to track back with these receiver problems. I mean, this has been an issue again. I'll trace it all the way back to 2017 in in the Minneapolis Miracle game. I mean, that's that's really where you notice a lot more where the receivers aren't getting separation, not helping Drew out. Um, you know, last year you make some strides, finally get a free agent wide receiver and Emmanuel Sanders, but Thomas is hurt, right? And so I think they've made some strides to try to get it better. But overall, this season, I mean, you got guys like Kenny Still is a veteran, but you see why he was on the street, right? I mean, you get some opportunities. He drops some balls. Um, Kevin White's the guy that, you know, was a COVID replacement. I mean, he, he has, is a good story, and he had made a big catch against the Bucks, but, you know, he was not a factor in this game. I mean, it's it's Traquan, it's Callaway, it's Harris, and, you know, this whole time I said that once Thomas comes back, that's going to open things up for guys like Callaway and Smith. But... Now, you know, teams know, you know, plug up on, on Callaway, plug up on Smith, and then Harris is going to get more of those opportunities, right? And so I think Beckham Jr. would be a good person to come in and have some uh, some shine there. And, you know, look, I think any of the team that he chooses, there's obviously going to be a learning curve, so it's not like you trot him out uh, in, in a week's time or a couple of days' time, assuming he gets signed this week, and then he's going to be ready to play on Sunday. I would be really shocked, but... He's somebody that you could use down the stretch when you know maybe it's Buffalo and Dallas back to back weeks at home. I mean, it's it, the opportunity is there, and I think New Orleans is an ideal destination. But again, you can't expect him to be the Giants version of Odell Beckham Jr. He's just going to be more of what you've seen. Can still get open, run routes, and get separation. And uh, defenses are going to have to account for him.
0: What about Odell, the guy in the locker room? Um, you know, I, I think I think when it comes to Odell Beckham. In general, there's a lot of hyperbole in terms of the player he is or isn't. I think, as you and I just said, it's, probably, it's you know probably somewhere in between. Uh, and in terms of the guy in the locker room, is he the quote diva that just tears locker rooms up, or is he this great teammate that some of his former teammates say that he is? You know, I, I, I don't. I always subscribe to, especially in sports, when it comes to a player as polarizing as Odell. A lot of times, the truth is somewhere in the middle. And I do think there's something to okay, what are you adding to the locker room if you're a team that's you know, in first place in the NFC, like you were in 2018, and yeah, you need help at receiver, but you're kind of marching along. Do you this year? I mean, you, you know, Saints seem to have a strong locker room. I, I, you, you just do it. I don't even think you think about it. I mean, well, I shouldn't say think about it. You want to consider all the stuff in terms of what he is or isn't fine, but it's not like this team is like number one and oh my God, you can't do anything in chemistry and all that. It seems like this year's team, especially if it's just a rental for the rest of the season, there I I just I don't I know people sort of weigh the downside of it. I don't think there's much. I think the potential positives far outweigh the potential negatives for a team that, you know, I know that fans don't want to say it, John, but I feel like this season you're kind of playing with house money.
1: Yeah, and look, I would say this and I use this extremely very loosely, but you know, Michael Thomas is a diva in himself, right? You know what I'm saying? So It's not like they have a, an issue. I think they have the right makeup in the locker room. I don't care who it is, you know? I mean, you think guys like C.J. Gardner-Johnson, he's the guy that you would love to have on your team and, and such, him. but if he's playing against them, you know, you could say he's more of a head case, right? But he's, I mean, he fits in, he gels well. <laughs> You've got great leaders in Malcolm Jenkins, Mario Davis, Tron Armstead, you know, all these guys that I don't think you bring somebody like in there and this guy comes in and says, hey, I'm bigger than this team. I got more of an ego than this team. You know, I, I don't I don't buy into that. I think, like you said, there's two sides to every story, so I don't think it was a perfect marriage in Cleveland. And obviously, you know, you see his father tweet and stuff and post stuff that's saying, hey, he was open on this and Baker didn't help. I think there's more to that story, obviously, but – Look, I don't worry about the locker room chemistry. I think they've weathered plenty. You look at that Drew Brees Yahoo thing from a year ago or whatever it was, however long it was, they weathered that just fine, and I think they have the right makeup to do it. I, I'm not concerned uh, of a locker room guy coming in here, having a, a fit and playing a deeper role.
0: John Hendricks, our guest, at John J. Hendricks on Twitter. He is the Saints' lead writer and reporter for Saints News over at Sports Illustrated. Our guest right now, I'm Scott Prather. This is ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. You mentioned CJGJ. Uh, he he left with an injury. We'll get a first practice report of the week today. I'm guessing he'll be a DNP. Uh, did not participate. Alvin Kamara left briefly with an injury, came back, played, but the Saints worked out a number of running backs. I think they signed Josh Adams to the practice squad. The The injuries, um, they continue to pile up, John, but it seems like this week now they're, they're really hitting spots, and we don't know the severity of either, and maybe both will play Sunday. So I don't want to over-speculate. But the reality is both did get hurt, and... I, I there's only so many holes you can fill. I mean, you could say this team should be 7-1. and one. You wouldn't be wrong, right? They should have won against the Giants. Mm-hmm. They should have won Sunday against the Falcons if Deebo doesn't blow that coverage. And if the guys can at least hold on to a couple of those passes in the first half, you could also say, man, with this roster and those injuries and how much they lost, you know, they should probably be like 2-6 and six right now. And I, I think both sides kind of have an argument here. But at some point, man... It's like how many how many holes do you have to plug before this dam burst? I, I what what are you thinking in terms of Camara, CJ, GJ, and just the latest round of injuries for this team?
1: Yeah, I think I'm more concerned about CJ Gardner Johnson and his availability. But at the same time, you know, I, I think it's it's obviously foot related. Could be turf toe. It Could be a, a broken toe. I'm not sure, and this is only speculating. But again. Um, you know, getting carted off, not being able to turn, you know, his, his cleats were off and taking a cart ride and stuff. So I think he's probably going to miss a couple of weeks if it's not something super serious um, and forces him out more. But, you know, look, at the same breath, I will just say that I don't think he's looked that great this season. I, I, you know, he struggled against Chris Godwin, struggling a little bit this season. I know he brings a lot of energy to the table and such, but... You know, this opens him up. Maybe you roll Bradley Roby into the slot now and have a more definitive role. Maybe you play P.J. Williams more, who's been, you know, had a knack for the ball this season. I, I just, I feel not as bad. Just, And don't get me wrong, I think C.J. gardner Jobs is a hell of a player, and he definitely makes his impact. But, you know, this hasn't been a strong campaign. Kamara, uh, you know, look, I think the silver lining here is, you know, we spotted him going into the medical tent after that field goal drive to open the third quarter. He was in there briefly. He played out the game. So I think that's the encouraging thing. But I, I think from everything I saw on film and looking at it, I think it was early in that drive on that one-yard period, the way he got hit, it might be leg, knee related. Um, and, again, this is all speculation. There's nothing that's definitive because you saw some of his routes and some of the things that he did afterwards where he kind of slid down and, and really kind of avoided contact a little bit. Maybe that was by design or on purpose or intentional, but – You know, look, that's the one that I'm a little bit more concerned about because you're already down Tony Jones Jr. Um, Mark Ingram, thankfully, you traded for him, right? Um, And so that's going to leave you with Dwayne Washington. Maybe if Ty Montgomery comes back from his hamstring injury, and then you might call up the veteran Lamar Miller, who's been on the practice squad for a good bit. So um, definitely concerns there, especially going against the Titans. Kamara is a guy that, you know, can just exploit you in so many ways. But, of course, we could be worrying ourselves over nothing because we'll know more. It wouldn't surprise me to see him not at practice today. We'll worry more if he's not at Thursday's practice, and if he's not Friday, then then really hit the panic button.
0: John Hendricks, our guest, ESPN Lafayette, he the best ticket in sports. <sighs> of all the losses from last season, I know that a lot of Saints fans were not. Um, let's just say that that they weren't going out and buying a bunch of Jared Cook jerseys. But <laughs> but but John. This team really misses Jared Cook and Josh Hill right now. I mean, Troutman, God bless him. He, he's, it, it's a yo yo, man. I mean, the drops are atrocious. And then you see him make a play late in the game that's like, you know, near the, just that contested catch where it's like, how did he, how did he do that? I mean, there's mm-hmm. no consistency with this guy. I will say his blocking has been maybe better than you would expect for somebody in their second year out of Dayton. But in the Saints' offense, especially with a quarterback like Simeon, man, you, you've you got to be able to catch the ball at tight end. And, again, I know that that Cook was for the fumble and everything else, but the guy scored a lot of touchdowns. He caught a lot of passes. And then Josh Hill was just sort of Mr. Reliable and overlooked so much. A, a big hole on this team right now. I know we say receiver. I think what we really mean when we say it is pass catchers. But yeah. <laughs> tight end, man, is thats that is – that, Is that sort of the biggest gap, Uh, quarterback aside, is that the biggest gap in terms of what they had last year and what they currently have?
1: I think it's a huge gap, you know, and, um, you know, Cook had his share of drops, too. I mean, he was not enough from from criticism either, and I think you can also trace it back and be like, man, they just, everybody's got to live into that Jimmy Graham shadow, and you have tried with Kobe Fleener, all these other guys, right, and. Um, even bring back King Watson and stuff. I mean, it just hasn't been the same, right? And so I think that's the expectation. And so um, I think missing Nick Vanette has been an issue. Um, I mean, this is a veteran guy. He was going to have more of a role in pass catching too. I think that's going to help when he comes back. But, you know, overall, you know, he drafted Troutman because he is a pass catching tight end. And, yeah, blocking is important. But you mentioned that Simeon is a guy who needs to move the sticks and have some reliability when you have newer quarterbacks in there. A tight end is usually a good security blanket for you. And so, look, I know he's hard on himself, and I know that he's going to get things right. But, you know, and I think about the first year that they had Jared Cook. I mean, this guy was practically a non-factor. Yeah, 1st first first, eight games. Right. Yeah. And then he just caught fire in that back half of the season. And so I think Troutman has some the skill sets to do it, and I think things can open up for him. But at the same point, you know, you've got to be able to make those catches. You got to, to extend the drive. I mean, he was wide open on a fourth down play. There's no reason that you should drop that. Right. I mean, it's just those types of things that I look at. And so look, um, it's a concern and the wide receivers are concerned, but at this point, Simeon, a guy who's veteran, you need players to make plays and just catch the ball. And, You know, everybody was to blame, you know, pretty much last week. I mean, on Sunday against the the Falcons. And so Troutman, I know he can be better. I've seen him get in practice at training camp and preseason. I know he can be a lot better than what he is. And uh, his opportunities are going to come. So I know he's going to have the coaches support and all that good stuff. And Trevor Simeon said it last week, too. It's like, hey, I'm not worried about the drops. He says, just be ready for the next one because I'm going to keep coming to you. And sure enough, that's kind of what happened when they started to mount their comeback.
0: John Hendricks, our guest at John J. Hendricks on Twitter. He is the Saints lead writer and reporter for Saints News over at Sports Illustrated. This is ESPN Lafayette and the Great Scott Show. I'm Scott Brather. Uh, Mark Ingram, really strong in the first half. Saints running. You look at Ingram, you're like, oh, he only rushed for 43 yards. you know, nine carries. Not too bad. Uh, they were rushing just so well in the first half. And then penalty, you know, incomplete pass whatever it was like every time they take a big step forward it was two steps back and the receivers are able to hold on to the ball they might have rushed for 250 against atlanta i mean i mean they were running so well but then when they got behind and it's double digits it alters the game plan Do you expect this sunday sean because you've, you've talked about it right this team offensively they just don't have an identity you think they're coming out just trying to establish the run against tennessee early in this one on sunday and rolling with that as long as they possibly can
1: yeah i
0: mean you said two steps forward and one step back were you doing a paul abdul reference there uh, uh, man well i said one <laughs> step but but yeah i mean if we're gonna <laughs> reference 80s and 90s music i think i, I wasn't a big paul abdul fan but you know when straight up comes on i do kind of start dancing sure. at the steering wheel you know and there you go singing the song i don't know was she singing that to emilio estevez because i think they were married right around that time and then they they split. Oh, see, see, now this is what John happens, back. John. You ask me questions like that and I get totally off track.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, it's cool. I remember your original question. so it's, uh, Okay,
0: because yeah, so I don't. I, I don't.
1: <laughs> running... <laughs> no, I think they're going to try to run the football against the Titans. And obviously, I think Mike Vrabel going to know that. And look, the Titans defense looked extremely strong against Matt Stafford. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, they, they had a huge road win. And I think a lot of people, that that game, you know, you lose your premier MVP pretty much player of the year um, runner in, in Derrick Henry. And everybody thinks, oh, man, this team's just going to fall flat. And so I, I know the Saints are going to try to establish the run. I mean, that's always first and foremost, you talk to Sean Payton. That's number one, right? You control the clock, time of possession, you know, all those things get make it easier on third downs, win first and second down. And so I think Ingram is going to be a guy that can find some success. I think their, their offensive line, you know, again, they've missed some pieces and, You know, with Andres Pete out, again, I dare say that they might be getting a little bit better there just because, you know, James Hurst is a veteran. He plays well. I thought Throckmorton looks good, especially in these jumbo sets. So, look, I know that's going to be a huge focal point for this team. But, um, you know, look, I think on both sides of the ball, the the ideal is make the quarterback beat you, right? Because the Saints have the number one run defense in the NFL. And so I think... Um, they're going to be stout against the run, and they're going to try to make Ryan Tannehill beat them. And same thing with Titans. I'm trying to make Trevor Simeon beat me. That's I it. think It's just the ideal formula for these teams going into this one.
0: The key, really, in this game Sunday is get being the team that gets up early. If a team gets a double-digit lead, I, I think that might be it because of how these teams are built this year and, and, and on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, you said it. Saints, number one rush defense. What, they're allowing 73 a game, 74. Titans, I think they're eighth maybe in the NFL or ninth. They're allowing about 100 a game. So these teams, you know, they're they're really solid against the run. And I think you think of the Titans, you think of their identity. Oh, they want to run the ball now. Derrick Henry's hurt, so that changes things. But um, for the Saints, they haven't found that identity yet. But I do think that if they're able to hang on to a few extra passes in the first half last week, you see a lot more of that run game in the second half. And you don't see Trevor Simeon, you know, attempt 41 passes. Uh, run it early. I think, especially with Kamara, we'll see just how nicked up he is. Is he playing? Is he not? Is he playing? But maybe not close to 100%. I, I think Mark Ingram, his his third game back, I think you're going to see the most Mark Ingram you've seen this year for the Saints. Uh, I, I just have that feeling, John, based on the matchup. You'll see number 14 quite a bit on Sunday.
1: Yeah, I would say so. I mean, it's just one of those things where it makes sense, right? And, um, you know, if there is something serious to Kamara, or even if it's not, I mean, you got to remember, he got hurt that year um, against Jacksonville on the road, and he still played. I mean, he's going to play through as much as he can just because he wants to be there for his team. So. Uh, But how effective he can be at, uh, at, you know, 75% versus 100% is a big difference for him. So, look, it wouldn't surprise me to see Ingram come in. And, look, I think if I'm Trevor Simeon and I'm Sean Payton a little bit too, try to get the screen game going. I know it's been something that they've had a a point of emphasis this year. I don't think they've done as well in the screen department as they wanted to so far. But, you know, look, you're going to have to be a little bit creative, first of all, and then with Ingram, you know, give him some different looks on the, the, uh, you know, just lean on that power, right? Lean on Armstead, do some tosses, get some things, try to find out, you know, I I think the Titans can cover sideline to sideline, but I think Ingram's got a little bit more bolt in his step that he can exploit some of that instead of just trying to run everything up the middle. But... At the same time, you're getting four or five yards of, of play on the ground. I mean, that's not a bad thing to set up those third manageables. So, look, I, I think Ingram's going to have a lot more workload in this game, just regardless if Kamara's 100% or not, um, just because of the situation that's going on. And, you know, again, when you've got uh, such a problem with and uncertainty with some of these uh, wide receivers and things that have happened, you know, it's not a bad bet trying to find Ingram and Kamara on uh, passing downs
0: all right final question john we'll circle back to how we started obj ultimately where do you think he's gonna end up signing
1: um you know again i give the Saints a chance but you know you're telling me a chance i think that you look at some of these other you know ideal destinations green bay makes a lot of sense to me um seattle makes a lot of sense to me i think seattle's got a great pitch for him. I think San Francisco, I don't know if that's a desirable spot, but, you know, especially because how they're not using Brandon Ayuk and all that stuff and inconsistencies there. But, you know, look, default back to what he said before, that he knows how Sean Payton's offense, he knows how smart he is and getting usage out of the wide receivers. I think it's a smarter play to go to New Orleans personally, but I could see some of these other teams that are really in the thick and leading their division and leading the NFC those are going to be the teams that you have to watch. So um, if you are put a number on it, I give them a 25% chance to come here. Um, but most likely I think it's in one of those top or upper tier teams, especially, you know, on the West Coast or up
0: North. All right, great stuff, guys. Give John a follow. He does a great job covering the Saints. He is the lead reporter and writer for Saints News at Sports Illustrated. Check him out on uh, Believe Saints, his podcast covering the team John, always appreciate the time, man. It's always good talking Saints and uh, and life with you. Give John a follow on Twitter at John J Hendricks. Let's do it again in the future, man. Uh, you heading to Nashville this weekend? Yes, sir. I leave on Saturday for sure. Safe so travels, be, uh, man. Uh, and uh, and if you need to bring some breakfast gumbo with you, you know what to do.
1: Oh yeah, I got to get some hot chicken while I'm in Nashville. So you know how that goes. That and barbecue.
0: There you have it, John. Appreciate it, man. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks, man. You too. All right. Up next, what NFL fan base fights the most? I mean, literally fights the most. I don't know if it's just because there's more camera phones or it's because people were just crazy after being cooped up for COVID. For years. There are more fights on the stands than we've ever seen. Who's more likely to win a fight among the fan bases? Believe it or not, yes, studies have been done on it. Give me the answer to that question next right here on the Great Scott Show. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. What up, guys? I'm here to tell you about the DraftKings sports book that's coming to Louisiana. I'm not talking about the fantasy aspect of DraftKings, which is awesome. I'm talking about the actual sports book because it won't be long until you can bet on all your favorite sports from the comfort of your own home and to celebrate. DraftKings Sportsbook is giving customers $100 in free bets when you sign up before they go live. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook giving $100 in free bets just for signing up today. No deposit required. It's bringing their experience as a leader in daily fantasy sports to the sports betting world and have created one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, DraftKings Sportsbook. In the meantime, while they're preparing to launch the DraftKings Sportsbook in Louisiana, you can play right now for huge cash prizes with the DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app app now and use code 1420 when you sign up. Because when you do, $100 in free bets to use on mobile sports betting in Louisiana as soon as it hits. That's code 1420 to get $100 in free bets instantly only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call one 877 stop Must be 21 or older. Louisiana only. Availability varies by parish. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for full terms and conditions. Sports talk that's so legit. It smells like beer and chicken wings. I mean,
2: can't you smell
0: it? I'm smelling barbecue too. ESPN Lafayette, ESPNLafayette.com, and the ESPN Lafayette app. What you want. The Great Scott Show. ESPN Lafayette. The best ticket in sports now at 1033 on the FM, 1420 on the AM. Streaming worldwide via the ESPN Lafayette app. If you're listening to us via the stream, it is brought to you by Champagne's Mark on the Wilson or Champagne's Going the Extra Mile. Ready to throw down? Let's go. Bring it. Okay, no, I, I don't i do not want to get in a fight. I'm sorry. But some NFL fans do. You'll see that video over the weekend. We had it on our website and app. That Rams fan, just kind of overweight, middle-aged looking dude, just throwing, he must have fist of steel. A lot of fights happening at NFL games. Viral TikTok videos on social media. Just, just tensions are really, really high right now. And U.S. bets did a case study and they surveyed NFL fans and all across, everywhere, every fan base. And according to their studies, the biggest fight provokers in the NFL, the ones most likely to start a fight, the Philadelphia Eagles. The ones most likely to win a fight, number one on the list, is the Eagles. Number two on the list of both is the Las Vegas Raiders. And that is the fact that it's Eagles 1, Raiders 2 is no surprise at all. Now, how did they come up with this study? So they surveyed 2,000 fans from around the country, 50% male, 50% female. Average age of respondents, I think, were 34 years old and they uh they they sent this out last month now 62% say that fans who get into a fight during a game should be banned for life from attending NFL games and a majority feels like the NFL needs to do a little more from preventing these physical altercations from happening i mean you're seeing these videos and it's like security's nowhere in sight there's just one thing after another just But yeah, the fans who would start a fight, Eagles 1, Raiders 2, Steelers are 3 there. Fans most likely to win a fight, Eagles, Raiders, Steelers one, two, three. Now after that, there's a little bit of a difference. The Patriots were 4th and the Cowboys were 5th in terms of fans who would start a fight. But fans most likely to win a fight, the Bills were 4th, Cowboys 5th, Pat 6th. Fans who would want to stop a fight, number one on the list, the Seattle Seahawks. All right. See, this is where I know this list. This is where I know the study went off base. 49ers are not listed in the top 10 of fans who would want to start a fight or likely win a fight They are listed number three on the list of fans who would want to stop a fight. And if you've ever been around a Niners fan or had Niners fans at a game you've been at or been at a game at the old candlestick, I mean, I don't know where they play now, Santa Clara, somewhere way far away. Maybe it's different now that they're in Santa Clara, but I'm just telling you, they've got that fan base all wrong when it comes to this fight study. Trust me. The Saints did not make the top ten of any of these lists, which tells you they're somewhere right in the middle. Now, they do have rankings of the fan bases most likely to lose a fight. Here is, we're going to go from 10th all the way up to number one. The number one fan base most likely to get beat up. Number 10 is the Broncos. Nine Rams, eight Cardinals, seven Chargers, six Bengals, five Dolphins, four, the Washington football team, three, the Titans, two, the Panthers, and number one, the Colts. Yeah. Yep. Can't we all just get along, guys? Can't we all just get along? ESPN Lafayette, I'm Scott Frather. Next hour, we're going to visit with Tim Buckley, talk Cajun hoops at 8.15. Open up the show today, talking UL women's and men's hoops, a little college basketball as a whole. The season opened yesterday. Saw the women and men play last night at the Cajun Dome. Talked about Coach K at the beginning of his long farewell tour. Sarah Montgomery, Lafayette's own, Lafayette native, professional race car driver, has been working toward her dream for years. And there is a docuseries premiering this Friday. And she and her team are the uh, the, the stars of the series, the focus of the series She's on a race team with two other individuals, her and two guys, and um, we're going to talk to Sarah, catch up with her. She's awesome, loves her hometown, and is uh, an up-and-comer in the auto racing world. We look forward to chatting with her next hour. It's all coming your way. But up next, 8 o'clock out of the Great Scott Show. We'll open up phone lines at 269-1077, and I'll remind you that when an organization, a group of people, or even an individual consistently shows you who they are why in the world is anyone surprised by what they do as my old friend stevie p says there's large sample size there's small sample size when you've got a large sample size and there is consistency and they show it time and time again why why is anyone surprised There were two examples of this yesterday in the world of sports. I'll tell you about it next right here on The Great Scott Show. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Don't go anywhere. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Great Scott. The Great Scott Show. And as they head into the final furlong, all of the other radio stations and radio hosts are left in the wake of a keen turn of speed by The Great Scott Show, the champions. Scott Prather, steal the show on ESPN fourteen twenty and ESPN fourteen
1: twenty dot com.
0: Hello, everyone. Welcome into the 8 o'clock hour of the Great Scott Show. This is ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Phone lines are open this segment. If anyone wants to hop on the airwaves, you can. 269 1077, 337 269 1077. Talk Cajun hoops last hour. We'll do that again in a little bit with Tim Buckley. On the beat covering the Cajuns for the Advertiser. Sarah Montgomery joining me later this hour. The College Football Playoff Committee. Roger Goodell. What do they have in common? They arbitrarily do what they want to benefit them. What pleases them. And then they give responses to defend their actions that are clearly, if you look at the response next to the evidence, are complete and utter. At best, stretches. At worst, BS. Now, this isn't anything new. I was talking to Jay Walker yesterday when he was on with me in the 8 o'clock hour, and I said, one of the things that I... Appreciated about Barry Alvarez, the former Wisconsin head coach, then athletic director, then a consultant for the college football playoff committee in the Big Ten, is that he was asked over the summer about how difficult it would be for a group of five school to break into the college football playoff that only has four slots, and he said, extremely, because look at what the power five conferences have to lose. They don't want them in there. They're going to come up with any reason they can not to. There would have to be overwhelming resume differences. And so many dominoes would have to drop. I'm not saying it's impossible, but it's pretty close to it. So it's not impossible for Cincinnati to perhaps get in the college football playoff, but they need so many dominoes to drop. So many. If you're a power five program with a prestigious history and a big name, you don't really need any dominoes to drop. In fact, you can drop a few yourself and still get in. But these rankings, I mean, even if it's even if it's not a, a P5 versus G5 thing, if it's just simply, well, wait a minute, why, why is Michigan ahead of Michigan State when they both have one loss to Michigan State beat Michigan? It could be something as simple as that. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I mean, Purdue, cool. I, I saw what they did, but why are they why are they nineteenth? Well, because they need to prop up the Big Ten. Another Group of Five school did enter the college football playoff. And no, it was not Coastal Carolina, or Louisiana. It was UT San Antonio, who should have been in it already. They're twenty third every week, and I, at this point, I, I think a lot of people aren't surprised. There's still some outrage. they're still just saying, look, this is ridiculous. But if anyone's actually surprised, week to week, the only surprise is going to be if they actually let Cincinnati in at some point. That would be the only surprise. Everything else, no. I mean, they've shown you what they are, who they are. They lie about it. Hancock lies about it. But Barry Alvarez, at least he was honest about it, which I can appreciate. You compare the college football playoff rankings to the AP top 25 to the coaches top 25, and there's a lot of differences there. You might notice a couple of themes. Cajuns aren't in it. Coastal Carolina isn't in it. Speaking of Coastal Carolina, real quick, Grayson McCall may be done for the season. The guy leads the NCAA in passing efficiency and yards per pass attempt and yards per completion. He is the reigning Sunbelt Conference Offensive Player of the Year. He did not play last week against Georgia Southern. He will not play this Sunday against Georgia State. And Jamie Chadwell, the head coach of Coastal, said... And I quote, we don't know how long he's going to be out. We hope to get him back before the end of the regular season. He could be out the rest of the season based on the recovery. Huge loss for Coastal, if that's the case. Huge loss. But, hey, Coastal, they kind of showed their colors a little bit last year for the conference championship game that wasn't, didn't they? Someone shows you who they are, believe them. College Football Playoff Committee is showing you who they are, believe them. Roger Goodell is showing you who he is when he arbitrarily decides to dole out discipline. It's not going to be even. It's not going to be straight across the board. Anyone that thought that the Packers were going to get slammed, it's the Packers. They're not going to come down hard on them. It's Aaron Rodgers. They're not going to come down hard on them. Oh, well, you know, they broke protocol. Oh, they, he lied. He was he was evasive. It was a ruse. Oh, he didn't do this. Oh, they had a, a Halloween party away from the facility and their photos and a bunch of teammates were together and some of them weren't vaccinated. And all these rules that were agreed upon between the CBA and the NFL this year... As it pertains to COVID nineteen protocol, were broken by the Packers. Were broken by Aaron Rodgers. The team knew he was continuously breaking, and what did they do? Well, they find the team three hundred grand. They find Aaron Rodgers fourteen thousand six hundred and fifty dollars, which is less than point zero 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 one percent of his annual salary this year. When you include his football salary and his endorsements, we're talking pocket change for Rodgers. Others. Lost draft picks. Raiders, Saints. Oh, well, Peyton had his mask down twice. Kamara didn't have his tracking bracelet on at the facility, and they danced in the locker room without masks on, their own locker room after a win. Oh, we got to fine them a lot more than 300K. We need to take away draft picks too. I'm not even defending the Saints. They broke the rules. Punish them. They did. But if you're expecting equal punishment or anything in regards to the Packers or Rodgers, if you were surprised at all yesterday, then you just haven't been paying attention. Believe him. Believe him. ESPN Lafayette, I'm Scott Prather. You can tweet the show at ESPN Lafayette, that's the handle. Some reports out there, various reports about college football coaches who might replace Coach Show at LSU. And depending on which report you read, depending on who you're listening, you might, you're might you going to get three different answers. Everything from Jimbo to Mel Tucker and then Jordy Collada suggesting, you know, Billy Napier certainly in play there. But I got to thinking about, like, Great coaches currently and sort of early in their careers if they would have made it. You don't get the time you used to get, unless you're in Nebraska, Scott Frost, hey, let's just run it back. But you look at how many coaches are like early on in their tenures. And if you don't have strong success out, if it's marginal success, yeah, you don't have strong success out the gate and continue it, you're not going to last long. But you can look at some coaches that they probably wouldn't have made it very long. I mean, Mac Brown, his first run at North Carolina, the guy won a national championship at Texas, but he was struggling early at North Carolina. I mean, what are they winning? One, maybe two games? You look at some great ones. Bobby Bowden when he was at West Virginia, Nick Saban when he was at Michigan State. Go back and look at what they did early in their careers. Now, it's hard to say, On one hand, oh, well, man, look at Scott Frost. You might as well just try to do it because you never know. You could be right on the cusp. The game has changed. College football has changed. And the amount of patience with the fan base, with boosters, the amount of pressure, and certainly the salaries have changed, which, oddly enough, because of the much shorter leashes that coaches are given, if you look across FBS sports, you look across FBS programs across three sports, FBS programs, so every football FBS team, every program in college sports that has an FBS football team and also a men's and women's basketball team, if you put those three sports together between 2010 and 2020, Schools, check that, between 2010 and 2021, so an 11-year stretch, schools committed $583 million in dead money to coaches. Short pacing fire them, buyout, boom. Not just to buy out for the coach, in some cases assistance as well. In multiple sports, over half a billion dollars paid to people not to coach their teams. Like I said, a lot's changed in college sports over the years. College basketball tipped off last night. It was at the Cajun Dome. Tim Buckley of the Advertiser going to join me next. Talk about what unfolded yesterday at the Cajun Dome. What stood out to him? All that and more. Sarah Montgomery coming up as well at the end of the hour. Final segment. She is a Lafayette native. Professional race car driver has worked her way up the ladder. Still grinding, but... A really cool television show, a docu series following her team, premieres this Friday. We'll talk to her about that more. It's all coming your way. Don't go anywhere. This is ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. I'm Scott Prather. What up, guys? I'm here to tell you about the DraftKings sports book that's coming to Louisiana. I'm not talking about the fantasy aspect of DraftKings, which is awesome. I'm talking about the actual sports book because it won't be long until you can bet on all your favorite sports from the comfort of your own home and to celebrate. DraftKings Sportsbook is giving customers $100 in free bets when you sign up before they go live. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook giving $100 in free bets just for signing up today. No deposit required. It's bringing their experience as a leader in daily fantasy sports to the sports betting world and have created one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, DraftKings Sportsbook. In the meantime, while they're preparing to launch the DraftKings Sportsbook in Louisiana, you can play right now for huge cash prizes with the DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app App now and use code 1420 when you sign up because when you do $100 in free bets to use on mobile sports betting in Louisiana as soon as it is that's code 1420 to get $100 in free bets instantly only at DraftKings Sportsbook gambling problem call one 770 stop must be 21 or older Louisiana only availability varies by parish eligibility restrictions apply see DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for full terms and conditions
2: this is the one place where you can really let the referees know exactly how you feel this is
1: NFL which stands for not for long when you make them calls
0: ESPN Lafayette, ESPN Lafayette.com, and the ESPN Lafayette app. <sighs> <sighs> uh,
2: uh. Who in the world? I feel good to go. I like a snow day for school. It's hot coats They do the speak what I heard. Just say what I know. Am my, my zodiac sign is Scorpio. Look
0: what, what they captured again. Welcome back into the Grace Scott show. ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Joining me now, UL Sports Beat reporter for the Daily Advertiser, Tim Buckley. Good morning, Tim. What's happening, man? Scott, how are you doing today? I'm good. I'm, I'm playing your, your favorite tunes there, the Beastie Boys. I know you love the Beastie Boys, Tim. Come on.
3: Yeah, they're uh, number three on my playlist, actually.
0: Who's number one? not the beastie boys right they're number three you just said they're number three who's number one?
3: Oh my gosh you're testing me this early um if i had to listen to anybody first it might be a tie between either garth brooks or billy joel okay. right now
0: all right i noticed you say right now you don't box yourself in you give yourself options but uh
3: yeah i'm not you know what pushing push Billy and Garth, so might be Lucinda Williams.
0: Okay, all right, there you go. Tim Buckley, ladies and gentlemen, his choice of music at the moment. Cajun Hoops last night tipped off their season. I talked about the uh, women's and men's game in the first hour. I know uh, sitting <coughs> behind the goal last night as we were, what what was the thing that stood out most to you in the, I know they had an exhibition, but the official opener last night?
3: Uh, probably the thing that stood out most to me was the back of the head of the very tall kid sitting in front of me, uh, because we don't have the greatest seats in the world and he's, uh Uh, He's a very, very enthusiastic fan and likes to stand
0: up a lot. Those kids did stand a lot. They were into it, man. Yeah, Yeah, they're regular.
3: They've been there for a few years now. They are are totally into it. So you have to applaud that, absolutely. Um, So it makes it hard to see the whole floor. Um, That being the case, the way that they used Jordan Brown, Jordan Brown played like, I think it was 26 minutes or something like that. He had nine more minutes than anybody else. They gave him a... A good go now you heard it bob Bob Marlon referenced a little bit of that had to do with i guess they played through one time out and then uh um, they uh it, he wanted uh Jordan Brown to play a little bit more with with du guy uh which was a you know kind of uh not part of their normal regular uh, rotation but um that allowed him you know to get those two uh, a few extra minutes on the floor together and jordan brown maximized him and i mean you can see why that kid um you know was was a highly sought recruit uh coming out of his, his prep school and you know why he eventually played in the pack 12 at arizona after the stop at uh at nevada um he uh you know, he, he he was playing at least last night. It sure seemed on a little bit different level than than pretty much everybody else. I think he ended up with what was it, fourteen points and seven boards, and he had four assists too, which uh, was was uh, as you pointed out post game uh, most assists uh, uh, for the Cajuns. And, and you know, it, it seems like a nice little element to his game too. But um, I thought he moved well uh, for a big guy and. Man, does he add some some depth to that you know rotation of bigs that they have with uh, uh, Theo Hakuba and uh, Isaiah Richards and uh, and and, and Duguay.
0: Yeah, they've got a lot of athletic size. Um, you know, there's the, you've got some big men, Tim. That you know they've got the size, but maybe not the agility. And I think that's what you know the competition. We'll see. It was West Florida. I get it, but seeing Jordan Brown, uh-huh. the biggest guy on the floor when he would put the ball on the floor, how he handled the ball, um, his activity in the paint on defense. And he kind of has like a, a cool cat kind of vibe, right? Like, you know, off the court, we talked to him afterwards. And on the court, um, it's not like he's like – he didn't come across as sort of rah-rah in terms of like vocally. And he said afterwards, I think he told us, you know, communication something we still got to work on on defense. But in terms of his play – I mean it was uh i think i think i agree with what you said it seemed like last night there was he was just playing at a slightly different level than, than most of the guys on the floor
3: yeah absolutely plus he walked into his post-game interview wearing a suit which uh, uh, uh he's styling I, I know they all actually uh, uh arrive in suits uh but usually those guys are still in their uniform when they come talk to us post-game but uh uh, Jordan made sure he was looking good for his first uh, post-game interview session as the Cajun.
0: Yeah, he he was dapper, and he said he really enjoyed his uh, his first game in the Cajun Dome. Um, so you've got a guy, Jordan Brown. He's been in Nevada. He's been an award winner at Arizona. Now he's with the Cajuns. On the other side of that coin, you got Kentrell Garnett, who started last night for Louisiana, a walk-on. Who um, uh, I, I I I'm glad they you know we got to talk to him last night. Um, Very nice young man, uh, seems to have a good heart. But, you know, in terms of just, I guess, in the metaphorical sense, the heart when it comes to as a player, you start as a walk-on, you work your way into the rotation last year, and you start last night in the opener, and he gave him 16 really good minutes. You know, he hit the first couple of threes for the team after they couldn't hit anything in the first half. Um, I, I think in terms of perseverance and trying to sort of, Coach Marlin told me yesterday morning, you know, the perfect rotation is somewhere between, you know, seven and nine players, maybe seven to 10, but ideally it's eight or nine. Regarding that, to carve out that role right now and be be where he is as a walk-on, hats off to that kid, man.
3: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, A little bit of a surprise. I mean, I guess maybe we should have saw it coming because Bob Marlin signaled it a little bit talking about how, he was basically uh, their best shooter over the summer, um, uh, you know, so he so he came in with a lot of, you know, practice consistency. He gets rewarded with the start. Um, I don't know if that's the lineup you'll see night in and night out because they have the option of of, you know, going bigger when they need to. This was a smaller lineup opponent that they were they were playing. And so they, you know, matched, I think a little bit in that regard. And so they have the option of, of going ahead and starting Duguay as well. He came in off the bench last night. And if, if you do that, um, you know, you start moving some guys down, you move, uh, uh, you know, a a bigger guy down a spot, uh, and, uh, and all of a sudden you got a, a really, a really big lineup that's, uh, competitive as well. But yeah, Kentrell Burnett, he held his own out of Baton Rouge uh, Catholic and uh, uh, a walk-on, like you said. Um, I think he was uh, you know, with that start. I think he, I think the nerves were probably racing a little bit, a little jittery uh, in that first half. But um, he talked about, you know, just kind of taking, taking halftime to take a deep breath, calm down a little bit. He came out and, like you said, he hit some some threes, which were desperately needed because they were over eleven on uh, on the trade tries in the in the first half. Um, and uh he looked like he belonged he, he had a nice presence there um they've got a ton of, of guard options it's just a matter of you know kind of who's it gonna be and uh he seemed to make the most of his opportunity um playing alongside greg williams and we can talk about him too but i thought he looked really solid as well
0: yeah he looked uh just kind of smooth i mean very much in control he's got a soft touch around the rim he He only shot one three in the second half, but he nailed it. A guy that can stretch the floor, but also put the ball on the floor. And for a Lafayette native that went and played in in New York City at St. John's, now back home playing for the Cajuns. Uh, Only 15 minutes last night, Tim. But, you know, I think in a game like that against West Florida, you're looking at more sort of just individual performances and their comfort level on the floor. He looked like a guy that had been there a while. He just, in the starting lineup, um, just seemed like he was fully in control. If that makes sense, nothing seemed big for him. Nothing seemed too fast for him. I think he had maybe one turnover, but overall, he in terms of debuts, I think Jordan Brown certainly was was the the number one story there. But Greg Williams, it's I'm glad you brought him up. You could kind of lose sight of that last night looking at Kobe Julian or or Garnett or Brown, but in only 15 minutes, Williams Williams looked like he he's going to be a big part of the team this year.
3: Well, it looked experienced, which kind of tells the tale of this team. I mean, they've got they've got a bunch of guys who've played elsewhere, and they're all, you know, uh, bringing that experience to the table. Uh, Jordan Brown, like we talked about, with uh, uh, Nevada and Arizona, Williams with uh, uh, St. John's, um, even, you know, Theo Akwuba, who obviously, you know, sure. isn't new here, but he played a, a couple years at, at Portland. Um uh, court from, from San Jose state. And when you have guys like that, it can either, you know, it can really help or it can really hurt. It just depends on the attitude of the guys that they, they come in, are they going to come in, you know, selfishly? And is it just going to not mesh no chemistry or are all those guys going to use, you know, the best of what their prior experiences are and, um, and all get along and, uh, have that experience pay off for them. and, and, you know it you know uh, a small sample size with just just one regular season game but so far it seems like uh, uh that group plays well together including Williams who you know if he can handle a lot of the point guard load look i know garnett is you know essentially a point two they're almost playing like a a two guard front really to be honest but um if 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 Williams can handle a lot of the 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 ball handling load the um four liter type load whenever bray and au comes back if he can do a little bit less of that i thought he did a good job of it last season but he wasn't necessarily uh you know who they had pegged to be their primary point guard last season um and and i think his outside shooting uh uh, suffered a little bit because of the the floor leader responsibilities and the ball handling responsibilities that he had to take on. So if you can take a, a chunk of that off of him and allow him to just be more of the natural shooter that you know he was billed as coming in, and if if Greg Williams can be responsible for for doing that, I think it could could go a long way to to help those guys.
0: Tim Buckley, our guest. Last question for you on uh, the Cajuns team what what do you think their biggest it, it's hard to say again very small sample size um what do you think their maybe their biggest weakness or the thing they're going to have to improve on most this season is going to be and if you don't really have an opinion on that yet it's it's all good considering you know it's only been one exhibition and one regular season game
3: well it's it's got to be i think outside shooting i mean we hear our friend kevin Foote talking all the time about how uh Uh, they're always billed as having a a, a lot of great uh, outside shooters and it doesn't always uh, translate into on the floor production. And, you know, when you come out 0 for 11 uh, uh, in the first half, um, you know, it's, it's certainly reflective of that. So if they can get more of the second half outside shooting than they got and less of the the first half, um, uh, it, it would be much needed, but just, off of initial impressions to me, that's what it, what seems to be. And apparently um, they have guys capable of it. Um, They've just got to take care of it. Now they've had guys capable of it in the past and those guys haven't always taken care of it. So, um, you know, that's one of those check back in 10 games kind of thing.
0: Tim Buckley has been our guest final question for you, Tim. Always love to ask you a question about your days on the beat covering the Utah jazz. We've talked a lot about Stockton and Malone talked about David Benoit um many guys guys that many folks won't remember other guys that are pretty memorable uh how was Jeff Hornacek as a player and uh what was his relationship like with you guys in the media
3: he was the uh (laughs) Jeff Hornacek was like just the most normal uh uh he could be your next door neighbor kind of NBA guy that there was um you know, he went to college. He, he he thought he was going to be an accountant, um, and uh, um, lo and behold, he you know carves out this long NBA career and is the the third piece of granite on that uh, on that block with with Stockton and Malone, um, and a huge part of, of why they got the back-to-back NBA finals. Uh, he was real easy going. It was just. Um, uh yeah he was he was everyday joe um he sensed that he was going to um you know have some coaching in him and, and sure enough he did uh, even though it wasn't successful necessarily but uh as he did with with the Knicks and the suns and he, he he's still around as a, as an nba assistant um uh real smart player just real quiet um um you know family oriented Kind of guy you would see his kids around uh, a little bit, much like you saw Stocktons around all the time. And um, you know, it 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 kind of sums it up. When we were on a a road trip, they stayed at the uh, whenever they played uh, uh, the Wizards in Washington, they stayed at a at a uh, Ritz-Carlton at uh, uh, attached to the mall in Pentagon City. Um, and, and guys like Jeff Hornacek and Stockton, uh, uh, they, they weren't exactly Ritz Carlton kind of guys. And that's, that's not demeaning. It just, you know, they're, they were just more everyday, everyday kind of guys. Stockton in his, uh, uh, minivan dockers Mm and golf shirt. But, Mm -hmm. but, you know, when they're, they're staying at the Ritz Carlton and then you just have to laugh as you're walking through the mall and, uh. There's a little restaurant attached to it. And uh, it it was a diner called Johnny Rockets in the middle of the mall. And sure enough, there's the table with John Stockton, Jeff Hornacek, and and Adam Keefe. uh, Just three guys having lunch at the mall.
0: (laughs) Give me a malt and a burger from Johnny Rockets. Good stuff. Tim Buckley has been our guest. Follow him on Twitter at TDA Raging Cajuns on the beat, covering the Cajuns for the Daily Advertiser. Always good chatting with you, my friend. Thanks for getting up with us, and uh, we'll see you soon.
3: Hey, that sounds good. And while we were talking, by the way, Kev Moe just jumped into my number one spot. I've now, I've, oh. I've, kicked out Garth and, uh, and Billy, sorry. Well,
0: it won't be long before I have the Beastie Boys number one on your list, Tim, I'm just saying. <laughs>
3: yes, yeah, it will be long.
0: Take care, Scott. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. Good stuff. Tim Buckley Bye. has been our guest. Sarah Montgomery, Lafayette's own Sarah Montgomery. She is a professional auto racer. She is working her way up the ladder. She has been grinding and grinding and grinding, and she and her team are going to be featured in a docu series premiering this Friday. We're going to talk to her about that and more. Sarah's awesome. You don't want to miss it. Learn more about her Lafayette's own, Acadiana's own next right here on the Great Scott show. ESPN Lafayette the best ticket in sports. What up, guys? I'm here to tell you about the DraftKings sports book that's coming to Louisiana. I'm not talking about the fantasy aspect of DraftKings, which is awesome. I'm talking about the actual sports book because it won't be long until you can bet on all your favorite sports from the comfort of your own home and to celebrate. DraftKings Sportsbook is giving customers $100 in free bets when you sign up before they go live. That's right. DraftKings Sportsbook giving $100 in free bets just for signing up today. No deposit required. It's bringing their experience as a leader in daily fantasy sports to the sports betting world and have created one of America's top rated sportsbook apps DraftKings Sportsbook. In the meantime, while they're preparing to launch the DraftKings Sportsbook in Louisiana, you can play right now for huge cash prizes with the DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contest. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code 1420 when you sign up. Because when you do, $100 in free bets to use on mobile sports betting in Louisiana as soon as it gets. That's code 1420 to get $100 in free bets instantly only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call one stop Must be 21 or older. Louisiana only. Availability varies by parish. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for full terms and conditions. You, my friend. I'm glad I did this test
1: on you. The friendship test. What?
0: You got the best seat in the house. ESPN Lafayette. ESPN ESPNLafayette.com and the ESPN Lafayette app. Welcome back in to the great Scott show ESPN Lafayette and as promised joining me now. Yeah, we're going to talk a little bit of auto sports because we have Lafayette's own Sarah Montgomery on the line with us. Uh, We hadn't chatted with her in a while. A lot has been happening for over the last two years. First off, Sarah, good morning. How is life and uh, how are you?
2: actually extremely doing well so thanks for asking
0: (laughs) do you have a uh, do you have a favorite beastie boys song i know you're a bit bit younger than me
2: yeah so kind of going along with that that is going to be a little bit before my time um you know we could talk more modern music and i could have a favorite for that but not for beastie boys
0: (laughs) what, what do you what do you enjoy listening to you and do you ever play music when you're practicing right on the on the on the track
2: yeah, so definitely not. Um, <laughs> so our cars are completely, our race cars are completely gutted, no radio or anything, so no songs that you can jam out to except whatever's stuck in your head at the moment. Uh-huh. And I like to typically listen to just kind of whatever's on. I'm not a screamo rock person, but anything else I'll probably listen to.
0: Yeah, like I, I don't, I'm not an, an auto car um racing car expert by any stretch but i do know that like they're gutted i knew that i didn't know if like if it's just a a light practice or something if you got an earpiece or something you know some wireless buds but i guess you you do have buds but that's because somebody's talking to you for 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 some of our listeners that don't know you sarah is from lafayette uh she races professionally but can you kind of give our listeners a cliff's notes version of your career, kind of how you started, and where you are currently.
2: Yeah, so um, about 12 years, when I was about 12 years old, my dad got free tickets to an Indy Car race. And as a 12-year-old girl, I had zero interest in going to that. That was just, I would rather go to Disney World, you know, things like that. So when we got to the track, I just completely fell in love with the sport, the smell of the tires, the concussion that the cars put, had on your body whenever they drove by at 200 miles per hour, Um, And that was kind of when Danica Patrick was first getting started. So it's that corny, cheesy story of that 12-year-old girl who fell in love with the sport and admired another female who was competing in it. So I begged for a couple of years to my parents to get me involved in racing. And it, like I said, took me a couple of years for them to actually believe me. You know, they were like, why can't you just do something a little bit safer like dancing or, you know, (laughs) something that's not completely life risking all the time but um they eventually caved and bought me a dirt oval go-kart so i did a lot of dirt racing in the lafayette area and as well as surrounding areas and Brobridge and things like that um and then competed and did really well and moved up slowly through the ranks and um wound up making my first pro debut in about 2016 in the professional um sports car world so what that means basically is uh a street car that you'd see on the regular road that's completely gutted and turned into a race car. So like no air conditioning, no comfortable electric seats, nothing like that. No carpet, um, with full blown roll cage and did a lot of road course racing. So it's basically two to four mile tracks, just depending on the track, left and right hand turns, a lot of elevation change. So it's Similar to what NASCAR does whenever they go to road course races, but just with a little bit different car. So um, this year, I'm actually running in a Porsche Cayman in road course racing in a series called World Racing League, which is an endurance race, meaning that the races are about eight hours each. So I know that was a lot of information all packed into one short segment. But to kind of give you a little bit of an idea what I'm doing, that's kind of what's going on right now.
0: Yeah, I mean, an 8-hour endurance race. That is uh that's a long one. Like how do you how do you train for something like that?
2: Yes, to say the least that is a long time. Um and believe it or not this past weekend or two weekends ago, I competed in a 24-hour race. So that's like nonstop green flag the whole time unless there's incidents things like that. But Um, Luckily, I do have teammates in the same car with me, so um, I have two other gentlemen that race alongside me. So I'll stay in the car for typically between two to three hours at a time and then get out completely fried because I'm just exhausted at that point. Um, Help put one of my co-drivers in, then they do a two to three hour spin, and then we just kind of keep rotating And basically, for training purposes, the most important thing to get over is the heat because, you know, we're wearing like five to six layers of fireproof clothing, and it's not exactly the easiest thing for your body to get used to if you're not used to it. Um, So I do a lot of sauna training. I sit a lot in the sauna for 30 to 45 minutes, just forcing my body to get used to the heat. Um, And obviously staying in shape in a sense of working out all the time to keep my core in shape. You know, people don't realize how strenuous racing is because we're pulling two to three g-forces in a corner so meaning like you know you it's two to three times your body weight of pressure put against you in the corner which is a lot if you're not used to it so two to three hours straight of that and sweating your butt off um, is a lot and that's kind of how we train for it.
0: Sarah Montgomery our guest Lafayette's own Sarah Montgomery, professional. Race car driver. What, what's, the, what's the best nomenclature? Do you guys not like race car driver? Like, do you want it to be specific to the kind of car? I, I just, I, I want to support you, but also want to make sure I got the lingo down, you know?
2: You nailed it, Scott. I, you know, professional race car driver is exactly kind of what we call ourselves. So that's perfect.
0: All right. We'll roll with race car driver. Well, another thing that's really cool and why I wanted to catch up with you is this Friday, uh, a new show is premiering. Um, the Drive Within, presented by Haggerty, And it is basically following, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think the TV series follows you and your racing team. And I don't know how many episodes are going to be, but I'm excited about it. It's going to be airing on Motor Trend, Velocity TV Network, and then, of course, all their streaming services. I know a lot of folks, uh, that's how they're watching and consuming products now. And yeah. seeing what, what, what Netflix has done for formula one in the U S currently and how big it's taken off and seeing the numbers grow in the interest from the Netflix show, you know, there's, there's a lot of potential growth here. Let our listeners know what to expect in this series and, um, you know, when it premieres and, and how they can check you out.
2: Yeah, no doubt. So it's something I am extremely excited about and I genuinely think this can help me, you know, promote myself as I've been working so hard my entire racing career to do so, but also my partners such as like Haggerty and Team One Logistics and Lafayette Travel, um, just getting their name out there. You know, they've stuck with me for my entire racing career and it's finally paying off (laughs) in a sense. So the TV show, as you said, is going to be airing on Motor Trend, which is also a really big deal because Motor Trend has actually never aired a racing show. It's more or less like car builds, things like that. Um, so this is going to be unique for all of their viewers, and basically what the show's about is it kind of, you know, highlights, like, struggles and sacrifices that we have as a team and drivers and the successes that we have, Um, because racing's not always going to be gory, as if you've watched the Netflix F1 show, you know, there's a lot of heartbreak in racing, so it's going to be six episodes, which is about 45 minutes each, so that's, really cool that they're going to put us on the air for a long time and friday is our first uh, episode to come out so it's the premiere episode at 5 p.m central time so on the motor Trend network so it um yeah it's a really big deal i kind of run out of things to say just because i'm so excited about it and just want the whole world to know
0: <laughs> sarah montgomery our guest professional race car driver from Lafayette, louisiana has worked hard since she was 12 and fell in love with auto racing. And, um, you know, I, again, and if, if you don't watch it live, check out the stream, watch it. Only six episodes. That's a good, tight, compact series of uh, fun and, you know, just the, 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 the competition for the World Racing League Championship starring somebody from our own community. I think that's really cool, Sarah, and uh, we'll be watching, we'll be supporting. This is a question I've asked you about in the past, um and you know I've, I've met your dad before he's he's awesome and I know your parents are very supportive of you but what what has been the scariest moment of your career in terms of a crash which is an unfortunate part of the sport uh and and just take us through what unfolded what's going through your mind recovery all that kind of stuff everything that surrounded it yeah so kind of
2: like you said it you know, incidents are definitely part of the sport. That's just kind of how it goes. And if you can't get over that, then you're in the wrong profession. <laughs> um, but it's not something I necessarily enjoy doing, as many people would agree with. But the most, the scariest part for me as a driver is more the financial side of things, to be 100% honest. So, you know, I've had very bad accidents in the past, one where my dad didn't know if I was alive for over 45 minutes or not um, you know, just trying to find where I was in the paddock and, you know, I get out of the car fully unconscious. So he didn't know what was going on. But, um, but the hardest thing for me to swallow as a driver is the financial part of it, you know, because if you write off a race car, that could be anywhere from 50 to $200,000. And I don't have that just sitting around. I can't just write a check for that. And, you know, same with, you know, there I'm unlike many other drivers where their parents have the biggest, Pocketbook in the world, they can write off as many cars as they want. But um, that's where I think I'm more fortunate because I have learned how to be a fast race car driver without, you know, the luxury of knowing my parents can just pay for it. So a lot of teens respect that and want me more in their equipment because they know I'm going to take care of it more so than someone who can just write a check for something new. Um, so I definitely am fortunate in that aspect, but definitely think the hardest part of this entire sport is the financial aspect
0: of it. That's fascinating. Uh, Sarah Montgomery, our guest, ESPN Lafayette. I'm Scott Prather. Tell tell me a little bit more about that. It sounds like I, I think of, you know, professional baseball and you make it to the majors, you make good money, but the, the, the vast and the thousands and thousands of players in minor league baseball that never make it, that are making you know, peanuts that don't have, you know, they're finally going to actually pay for, for living for these guys. You know, I think you think race car, and if you're not really in tune with the sport and follow it super closely, you know, I think of the big stars in NASCAR and F1 and, and you know, how much they make and they crash cars. You don't think, well, well they're going to have to pay for that car, but for younger racers that are trying to make it to the top, you're, you're, you're telling me that you guys are pretty much responsible for the car itself and all that comes with it?
2: Yeah, so I'll give you a little bit of insight here, Scott. So I'm trying to get in a series in the next couple of years called IMSA, which is the highest echelon of sports car racing. And for me to compete in one season of that, that's just paying for my end of things, is about a million dollars. So it's not cheap. Um, That would include basically everything, travel, the car itself, and things like that, but um, you know, there's a lot of people out there who want to be doing what I'm doing, but can't afford it. And not saying that I can, but I just work my butt off all the time, you know, trying to acquire new partners and keeping the partners around that I've had in the past, and you know, that want to see me succeed, such as you know Haggerty, Team One Logistics, and Lafayette Travel. And um, it's just really cool that I have those people because a lot of others in this industry don't. You know, they just take it for granted that you know they have a free ride from a team per se in a year, but, you know, in that million dollar budget, that doesn't even include a paycheck for me. That's just literally paying for the racing itself. So there's a lot going on in the back end and I'm just trying to make things happen. And it's a lot of work, but whenever everything kind of pays off, such as this TV show coming out on Friday, it's a big deal.
0: Well, how much can this TV show potentially help you out in your path in your career?
2: I think it's going to help Tremendously, I think it's going to be the biggest push I've ever had in my entire racing career because it's going to get my name out to just a completely different variety of people in a sense that people I've never been able to reach, you know, because earlier I was saying that, you know, Motor Trend Network mostly does car, car shows and like build, car build TV shows, not necessarily racing so all these different people who maybe have this love and passion for cars have never really watched much, much racing, but they are dedicated to the Motor Trend Network, so it's going to put me in front of millions of people that you know, aren't normally ex- exposed to this sort of thing. So I think it could definitely be helpful as far as like more partners coming on board, but more than anything, give me the clout to reach out to potential partners to make something happen for these future years
0: sarah montgomery has been our guest uh so we know you're a driver but uh being from lafayette i know at lafayette high you uh you played a lot of music too like am i correct in saying you were like a lead singer and a christian rock band and and you played the clarinet tell us a little bit more about sarah away from the racetrack
2: yeah so sarah away from the racetrack is very introverted um I do absolutely love hanging out with my friends. I'm very much a friends and family oriented person as you know, cliche as that sounds. Um, but I love being outside. There's nothing more that I would love to do than either be on a hike or be outside somehow. And I just recently got my real estate license. I've been doing a lot of real estate too, which I guess again, puts me outside, but, um, Sarah is, you know, definitely business and fun and you know the side away from racing is being outside and just enjoying life
0: the drive within series that's the uh, the name of the show the drive within it's a six part series and it uh the six episodes the premiere is this friday on the motor trend network it's their first show that they're airing that's about uh race car driving and racing and they uh they they're following Sarah's team, and she'll be a big part of it. Yeah. Support it. You can watch it on the Motor Trend Network. You can check out their social media. You can check it out on their streams as well. Sarah, you've uh, you've always repped Lafayette and um, done your best to make the community proud. I know it's you know it's been a journey. I think the first time we talked to you, you were just you were still a teenager, and so I know uh, yeah. I know there's still a long way to go, but. Ultimately, what's, what's the dream? Is there a ceiling for you when you think about what you want to accomplish in the sport?
2: For sure. Um, I, you know, I wouldn't be doing this if there wasn't a dream, you know. Um, but I think this year and this TV show is going to help me get to that point. Um, I feel like this is the closest I've ever been to what I really want to succeed, which would be to get in, that, in the series that I was talking about. And I think this TV show is going to help boost me enough to where I will be able to have that opportunity and kind of side note, as you said, rep in Lafayette all the time. I actually just got my helmet painted for the very first time. And it's got a big fleur-de-lis on the very front of it there sideways. It looks, I call it the angry fleur-de-lis. So I'll have to send you a picture, but I have a ton of pictures posted on my social media, but um, I'm super excited for this opportunity and
0: you know thank you for even having me today oh it's always good sarah uh sarah if you want to follow what she's doing you can check that website out at sarah m racing on twitter sarah montgomery oh. racing on facebook sarah montgomery 124 on instagram go give her a follow support uh good luck sarah and uh, i know we'll be talking to you again in the future give your parents my best and we'll check out the show when it airs this friday
2: Awesome. Thank you so much, Scott. I appreciate it, and appreciate the listeners
0: for watching. <laughs> you got it. That is Sarah Montgomery. This has been The Great Scott Show on ESPN Lafayette. Big thanks to John Hendricks, who joined us to kick off the show, talking some Saints, to Tim Buckley from The Advertiser, talking about Cajun hoops and last night's games, and of course to Sarah Montgomery, who has joined us here in the final segment today. I will talk to you guys tomorrow. Norm Locke will be in with me. We'll chop it up, have some fun. Great Scott show. Same time, same place. It's ESPN Lafayette, the best ticket in sports. Dan Patrick is next.